Hey everybody, I've got a really special and very timely episode here for you. Not only is this the first time I've ever interviewed one of my travel company, Egypt Elite's travel clients who went to Egypt with us and we got the pleasure of taking around Egypt, but this is also the first client we've had that has returned to Egypt after the outbreak of the pandemic. She and her family just toured Egypt, just got back, and I spent about 50 minutes on Zoom interviewing her, talking about what Egypt is like on the ground right now, her impressions, what it was like going with us, what the COVID logistics were like there, what the museum was like now that things have started to move over to the gym, and just so many other things that I really wanted to get someone's fresh perspective on. Someone who'd never been to Egypt and someone who's been to Egypt recently during the tail end of the COVID pandemic. So Brayden is a client that I've been working with for over a year to plan her trip with her mother and her brother, and she had to postpone it numerous times because of the outbreak of COVID. They were going to go in December of 2020 and decided to postpone it one more time until March of 2021. So they just finally went on the trip. Uh, They're fearless. They wanted to go despite the extra precautions they had to take. And they just got back. And so right after Brayden and her family got back, I interviewed Brayden on Zoom for you all to hear firsthand what Egypt is like right now at the tail end of the pandemic. It's open for travel. Tourists are there. So let's hear from her. Here's that interview. All right, Brayden, thank you so much for agreeing to join me on a podcast episode. This is actually, I think this is only the second time I've interviewed someone for an episode. I interviewed a photographer, a friend of mine in Egypt uh, last year, and I interviewed actually- Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, a professor of Islamic art and architecture I interviewed last year too, but I haven't released that episode yet. I'm saving it for like a month from now. But you actually, you're the first, I think, client that I've had for Egypt Elite that I've had on the podcast, period. In oh, cool. Three or four well, years. I'm happy so to be here. <laughs> I'm really excited too. And I'm super excited because- you and your family were actually the first guests that we had returned to Egypt post COVID outbreak. So wow, the pandemic, the pandemic's actually, you know, still going on. It's we're on the tail end of it now. Thank goodness. But we had all of our clients for 2020, no 20. Yeah. 2020. I'm so confused about years now they were <laughs> scheduled and the rest of them are going in 2022 you all were the first ones to reschedule for 2021. And even I have not been back to Egypt yet since the outbreak of the pandemic. So I'm really, really excited to hear about how your experience was. And you just got back when last week, is that right? Yeah. uh, Well, let's see two weeks ago now, two weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So you were there in March. I mean, basically on the year anniversary of the outbreak of the pandemic. Yeah, literally, because we had originally booked it for our spring break. We're all in um, the school system. And then, yeah, we rebooked it for this spring break. So literally the year anniversary. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I was actually there in Egypt at the outbreak of the pandemic. Um, So basically, when you were there this year, I was there one year ago, exactly, because I was there with, I was in the Middle East for about five weeks. I was in Lebanon, Bahrain, and Egypt. And I had a group of... I want to say six, I think six that I was five or six. I was going around the country with myself because I was in the country at the same time as them. And we had some other client groups there at the same time. And when everything, their, their trip finished on March 14th and I flew back to Spain where I live on March 15th and I have not been back to Egypt since. So you know more about Egypt right now than even I do. I'm really (laughs) excited to hear what your impressions were. But first, let me just back up a little bit for for everyone to kind of get a sense of how we got to know each other and how long we'd been planning your trip together. So we first started chatting in 2019. Is that right? Definitely. Um, I got married in June of 2019 and we already had this trip booked. (laughs) So I don't know what month we booked it, but it was before mid 2019. Wow. Okay. And so you went with, am I correct? I I was assuming, but I don't think I knew the relations. Did you go with your mother and your brother? Is that it? Yes. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And what made you all decide you wanted to go to Egypt? Um, I went to Turkey in, let's see, I think 2018. And the way I planned that trip is I watched a lot of YouTube videos 
so I found some travel channels that I really love on YouTube. And um, so some of the couples that I was following around the world through YouTube, some of them ended up going to Egypt pretty soon after my Turkey trip. And I was continuing to watch their videos. And when I saw the videos of them traveling around Egypt, I just thought that is exactly where I want to go. Just everything about it, it just, it seemed like a perfect place for us. Just everything that we love, you know, it kind of ticked off the list and, and we were right. <laughs> nice. And what yeah. made you want to travel with your family? Is it, did you suggest it to your mom and your brother or do y'all always travel together or how did you end up traveling as a unit? We are typically the three out of the family that just really love to travel and just kind of want to go everywhere. I mean, my goal is to visit at least a hundred countries before I die. That's like my bucket list goal. Um, if I visit more, that's cool too. But uh, my mom always likes to tag along. My dad and my husband aren't as big of travelers as we are. So they stayed home. They were also busy, but, uh, but yeah, we just, we want to see the world and Egypt was a really good place to, to start. And so you said you've been to Turkey before. And so you had already seen a little bit of the Middle East, of an Islamic country of, I mean, Turkey's a little bit different because it's sort of a blend of Western and Islamic, but. It is, um, but they are somewhat similar. And and I I enjoy that culture. Turkey was the first time I had been to a Middle Eastern culture and, and I really enjoyed it. I think that's one reason I was drawn to Egypt. Yeah, Turkey is a great introductory country to the Middle Eastern region. Yeah, I agree. Because it is a little bit of a blended country, East and West. Egypt, what was your what were your first impressions of Egypt? Like when you stepped off the plane, because Egypt is totally different. I it mean, is. I, lo- I love yeah. Egypt, but Egypt <laughs> is different. Like what were your first impressions of the country? I truly wasn't too culture shocked, but my mom and my brother had not been to a Middle Eastern country yet. So I I think the culture shock was pretty real for them, but it was exciting. And the people are so friendly that, I mean, you're you're just being welcomed. And, but yeah, the culture shock was a little bit real, you know, things are, are just different than the U S and we haven't traveled in so long that it was just nice to be somewhere new, you know? Yeah. Even for me, every time I go back to Egypt, I have this moment, usually in the car that picks me up from the airport going downtown, I have this moment where I'm like, whoa, I am back in Egypt. Because, yeah. <laughs> and I like to tell people sometimes too, when it really hits most people, you know, when you're in the airport, you're kind of like busy, you're doing things. I mean, you see yeah. people dress differently. It's a little chaotic. You hear a different language. But for me, and I think for a lot of people, when it really hits them is when they're in the ride from the airport to the hotel. And you're looking out the window and you're seeing the chaos, the traffic, like it's just, it just looks different. And you're like, whoa, we are not in Kansas anymore, Toto. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. (laughs) And so you all were met at the airport by our guy Osama, right? Yes. Osama was great. He was very helpful. We had a bag that was taking a while to to show up. And so he checked on that for us and was wonderful with the visa process and all that. So it was a breeze with him. He was great. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. Yes, very. Did you get e-visas in advance or did you get the visa stamp, the little postage stamp on arrival? We did get them in advance. I hadn't planned on doing that, but luckily I checked with you about a week and a half before. And so we went ahead and got them online. Um, They are recommending that now because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And I had heard the visa process was pretty messy and could be very lengthy and it was a breeze. I mean, it took us maybe five minutes and that's because the line was five minutes long. You know, <laughs> I mean, they were just super quick. So. Yeah. During normal times when, when tourism is at its height in Egypt, the lines can get really long, especially when, you know, huge plane loads land from China or, yeah. from, you know, Russia, or they have these huge planes of packaged tourists and they're all, you know, planning to get their visa at the window and then they're all lining up. I mean, and sometimes because the airport sometimes groups incoming flights, so you might have three plane loads of 300 landing at one time. So literally there's a thousand people in line trying to get their visa and stuff right there. Pre-immigration. Right. You all were, um, I mean, you were definitely traveling at a good time. What were the sites like in terms of the other people that were there? Did you see other tourists? Were they empty? I mean, I assume they weren't crowded right now, right? No, they weren't crowded. They were more crowded than I thought they would be, which I mean, was not a downside for us. We were happy that people were there, but I mean, you truly kind of do feel like you have the place to yourself. Egypt is requiring masks when you're in a crowded area. And so there was plenty of room to spread out so you could take your mask off, you know, if you were outside. And so, yeah, I mean, even though there were people around, we did feel like we had the sites to ourselves. 
they definitely weren't crowded and I definitely wanted them to be more crowded for, you know, the people in the tourism sector's sake, but, and just because people need to see these things, but uh, it was kind of nice to have, you know, not huge crowds. (laughs) Yeah. I was so happy for you all that you were, you're brave enough to go now because it really is rare for these sites not to be crowded and and travel's going to bounce back. It always does. But even we saw even I remember in 2012, 2011, 2012, like when the revolution was going on, the Arab Spring, you know, mm-hmm. the, it was kind of the same thing. The sites had emptied out, tourism plummeted, but there were still people there. We took a lot of people to Egypt in 2012 who were just like revolution, no revolution. I want to see the pyramids and the tombs. Right. And I'm going kind of like you all were, you know, we're, we're, we're going. I agree with that notion. <laughs> yeah. But you're lucky, though, that you hit it now, because even though there were some people there, like you said. I mean, normally there are a ton more and we're right. really seeing an up, a huge uptick in bookings for the winter of this year. So October, November, December, and January, February, basically the high season, the winter. Okay. And yeah. we got a lot of bookings and, you know, the people who go this year, like you all did, are going to really get a special treat because after, with the Grand Egyptian Museum opening, the new National Egyptian yes. Civilization opening, it's never going to be like this again. And so right. you, you, got, you all got to really treat. I'm so happy that you, you got that. Yeah, us too. <laughs> okay. So Osama met you at the airport. And so you did have a delayed bag. That's good. That's one of the reasons I tell people that I really, pref- you know, sometimes people are like, oh, I don't need help or you don't need to send anybody to help us pre-immigration. We got it. We've done this a thousand times. And I'm always just like, please just let us do it. It makes us feel better because if you do have any issue yeah. with a bag or, you know, heaven forbid a lost bag and you have to deal with the airport staff in Arabic, it's just a f- hassle and nobody wants to start the trip off like that. So I'm glad that he was there to help you with the delayed bag. And then you all were staying, remind me what hotel you were staying at. Uh, the Steigenberger Pyramids oh. Hotel there in Giza. I like that hotel. Steigenbergers are good. A I lot do. of Americans haven't heard of that brand because it's a German. Yeah, it's the first one we had stayed at and it was okay. very, very nice. It's a beautiful place. And of course, the view is just perfect. <laughs> I mean, uh, for folks who don't know, the Steigenberger Pyramids is right out in Giza. It, it has a view of the pyramids. There's two Steigenbergers. There's one downtown in Tahrir Square, Steigenberger Tahrir. And then there's Steigenberger Pyramids, which is out by Giza which is great. And especially next year when the gym opens, it's actually right across the street from where the new Grand Egyptian Museum is going to be. Did you see that from the outside, I assume? Yeah, we kind of had a view of it as well as the pyramids. And it's a beautiful museum. We were so sad that it wasn't open yet. Uh, but that's just another reason to go back. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, it's gorgeous. The Steigenberg is great. And the pool there overlooks the pyramids as well. You can literally lay out by the pool and look at the pyramids. There's a couple more resorts out there. There's the Mina House Marriott. That's older. It's across the street and closer to the pyramids. It has great views too, but it's older. And I like the Steigenberger pyramids because it's nicer. It's big and open. It's, you know, it's white kind of, you know, like white marble in the lawn and stuff like that. It's just, it really makes you feel, you know, like you're having a really nice, luxurious experience and you're right there by the pyramids. Now, did you walk around anywhere outside of the property? Because that's not really in an area with a lot of stuff you can walk to. Right? Yeah, it's not. No, we didn't. You know, our, our trip delayed a day because of our COVID tests. So we lost a day at the Steigenberger Pyramids. And so the day and a half that we did have there, we were just kind of rushing around and, um, you know, seeing all the sites. So no, we didn't walk anywhere and it didn't look too walkable. I, I think you're right. Which was fine. But we did, we actually went and ate at the Mina house. Um, Iman, our guide, recommended that for dinner one night. And so we went to the Mina house to eat and um, it was okay. <laughs> but but it was beautiful. I mean, the view was lovely and uh, we could actually see the light show going on at the pyramids as we were eating. So that was cool. I mean, you know, there, there are pros and cons. I'll tell everybody to staying out by the pyramids. I mean, the pros, like you mentioned, are the views. You can't beat the views. No other region of Cairo has views that close to the pyramids. Right. You know, but then you have to balance that against if you stay downtown, you can walk around, you can walk out the door of the hotel and walk around all downtown Cairo. And you really can't do that out in Giza. So it's good to hear that you liked it and you had a great experience there because different people like different things when they go. Some really want the view they want to be. And especially after the gym opens, proximity to both the gym and the pyramids. You save an hour commute from downtown out to Giza by being there definitely each way way. so okay so steigenberger pyramids and you what did you think of the pyramids i mean this was your first time seeing the pyramids your first trip to egypt 
the pyramids are what everybody goes to Egypt to see. What were your first impressions? Do you remember? They are magnificent. I didn't know that they'd be my absolute favorite thing we saw, but they were. We just, we loved them. You can't even describe it. (laughs) You know, seeing them, you just, you can't. They're mesmerizing and the whole experience is great because, you know, I mean, Amon, our guide, she taught us all about them and you get to go inside the pyramid and then ride a camel by the pyramid. I mean, the whole shebang is just something we won't ever forget. Definitely. Yeah, it's a really magical experience. I mean, it is. It's something you see pictures of your whole life, you dream about, but then when you show up and you're literally standing beside these blocks, I mean, it's, that's one of the things I struggle with and, you know, sort of narrative and storytelling and talking about Egypt is conveying the enormity of these blocks. I mean, I've never seen a block, a single block bigger than my body before. And there are millions of them in the pyramids, but I'm curious, what what did you think about the Sphinx? Because a lot of people find it smaller than they had imagined. What did you think about it? I was still impressed with it, but I have heard that before. I mean, when you think about when it was made, I still thought it was very impressive at large. (laughs) I mean, that was just my take on it. And I think my mom and my brothers as well. And of course, you know, it's just awesome to look at. And you, you can't believe that you're seeing it in person. I was impressed with it. I didn't think it was too small, but (laughs) that's good. That's good. Yeah. Some some people, well, I mean, myself included, like the first time I saw the Sphinx, I was like, oh, I mean, I I was thinking it was as big as the pyramids and my conception was a little bit exaggerated, but I was like, oh, it's smaller than the pyramids. Okay. But now I'm always curious as to other people's perceptions, because I don't think everybody maybe sets it up like I did thinking like it's as massive as the pyramids and nothing is as massive as the pyramids. That's funny. (laughs) So do you remember your camel's names? They usually have funny names. Of course. Uh, Mine was Ali. Uh, My brother's was Mickey. And my mom's was bananas. Bananas. (laughs) And we got to feed them and they are precious. And I called my husband after and I said, we have to get a camel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they always have really cute names. A lot of times they're named after Disney characters. Like you said, Um, I haven't heard bananas. That's cute. Um, yeah, he was super cute. <laughs> we really enjoyed that. That kind of tied the whole experience together. It was kind of like the cherry on top. We, we enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Camels are weird animals. I mean, they're funny looking, they're funny acting. And then, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you had this experience, but like when you get on it and it stands up, yes. we're not expecting <laughs> like it lurches forward really far. And then, yeah. and you really have to move your body forward you and backwards do. just to keep your balance to get up yeah the guys who were like you know leading us on the camels they were like lean back when it stands up I'm like okay so we did it and i mean if they wouldn't have told us that i probably would have fallen on my face <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah good good i'm glad that was fun um it was and so iman um so, so we have a couple of guides we work with there consistently iman is the one i've worked with for the longest we iman and i are like brother and sister. We had a, we yeah. had a set of clients there one time and the, the husband was a, an illustrator for, I think Warner brothers. Oh, wow. And at the end of the trip, he drew this cartoon of me and Amon as Tom and Jerry. Oh, because we, that's how we act when we're together. Like we just, yeah. we're literally a brother and sister and we're always like arguing, we're fighting, we're loving, we're just like, yeah. and so people always tell us like, we, we're like Tom and Jerry together. And so we literally had a Warner Brothers illustrator. He was like, you two are like Tom and Jerry. And he surprised us at the end of the trip with a drawing, a cartoon drawing of Tom and Jerry with our faces on it. And Amon's had like the little hijab, which was so Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Now she said, she was like, John's my brother and telling us all this. And then uh, you'd text her or whatever. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm ignoring him. <laughs> like, oh but she is absolutely precious. We did not want to leave her. She is so sweet and so knowledgeable. I don't even know how she keeps all that information straight. She's awesome. Yeah. We loved her. She's been doing it for a long time. Yeah. The thing I love about her too, is I love to go with our clients that are with her on a given day. Like sometimes I just love to go with them and tag along. Because yeah. I love listening to her and I love how animated yes. she gets. She's acting out scenes from hieroglyphics yeah. and stuff. She is the most fascinating person I have ever listened to. I mean, she could have talked about anything and we would have just been like awestruck. But yeah, she 
I mean, I feel like we learned so much because, and just about everything, like even just Egyptian culture is where, you know, walking to another site. And I mean, just anything she said, we were just, oh my goodness, because she's, she's so fascinating. Yeah. yeah. She knows my parents really well because mm-hmm. I've been over there so many times, you know, sometimes I'll just video chat with my parents and Iman's with me all the time. So I'm like, oh, say hello to Iman. Uh, I remember the last time I was there over Christmas, my parents, I tell this story sometimes to people because it just goes to show like how close we are and how long we've been working together. But the last time I was in Egypt over Christmas, my parents sent like a package of some Christmas presents. I opened it up. There was like two things for me in there and there were like eight things for Amon. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, evidently I have a sister now that my parents have adopted and love more than me. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, I love her to death. And then let's see. So after Cairo, you flew down to, where did you go next? Sharm el-Sheikh. Sharm el-Sheikh. Okay. And so what was, so tell us what Sharm was like, because you've probably heard me say in the podcast, like normally Sharm's a place that I recommend for people who have specific tastes and want to do specific things. I'd say like 90, 80, 90% of people, there are other Red Sea Resort areas that I think better suit them. But for like 10 to 20% of people, Charm suits better. So what were your impressions of Charm and why did you choose Charm over one of the other places on the Red Sea? So actually first we had, you know, we've rescheduled uh, or we had rescheduled this trip four times. So the first three times we were planning on going to Alguna, which I know you highly recommend. And last time that we had to reschedule, we couldn't find any bookings for Alguna. I don't know if it was just too last minute or, you know, if it was COVID related, but that's why I kind of started looking around and we decided on Charm, partly because I'd heard the snorkeling was just so good. Mm-hmm. And partly because I wanted to see the Al-Hasaba Mosque in the market area, which is stunning. So we ended up going to Charm. So yeah, next time, hopefully we'll be able to go to El Guna because that's what I had had my intentions set on originally, but it totally worked out. We loved Charm. We stayed at the Jazz Benara Resort, I think is what it was called. It's gorgeous and the people are wonderful. The food is not too great, but I mean, it's all inclusive. It's like a package deal and the snorkeling made up for it. It was beautiful. And I mean, we literally had a private beach, walked right down to it, got in the water and there were fish. So it it worked out well. We were happy with it. Nice. Yeah, I um I used to go to Sharm a lot when I was younger. And one of the mm-hmm. things that I like to tell people is, I think I was telling you about this, is that Sharm's great if you want like a city attached to your Red Sea area. Yeah. Sharm actually is a city. It's obviously smaller in Cairo. But, you know, the other resorts, Elguna has a tiny, tiny little downtown. And then mm-hmm. Oma Bay, which is a new development, it's now sort of the, the nicest one on the Red Sea. It doesn't really have a downtown area. It has resort compounds. And then Hergada has a downtown that's just crap. But Sharm, yeah. it actually does have a nice downtown with a social life. And so during normal times when things are booming, there's nightlife there, there are clubs, there are bars. But where there are a lot of, Sharm's actually also a place where a lot of Eastern European tourists go. And so, yes. even, and they're not, they're not afraid to travel sometimes when Americans are afraid to travel. So right. were there are a lot of tourists there and were they mostly Eastern European or who did you see in Sharm? Yeah, most of them were Ukrainian. There were a lot. Like our our resort, I think, was pretty much fully booked from the amount of people that were. I mean, it's a it's a large resort, but I I really think that it was pretty much full. And yeah, most of them were Eastern European. Um, in fact, when we would tell, you know, shop owners or you know employees of the resort or whoever that we were Americans, they were like shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were just you know they'd walk up to us speaking Russian, and we're like we don't know Russian, <laughs> speak yeah. English. do you speak yeah. English? And, and a lot of them didn't, which was funny too. A lot of them only spoke Arabic and Russian uh, and then, you know, small amounts of English, which uh, anyway, so it was just funny, but yeah, lots of Eastern Europeans, which was cool too. I mean, we, we like different demographics and, you know, hearing different languages, uh, but yeah, so that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Charm and Hergada are both places where there are a lot, a lot of direct flights from Poland, from Ukraine, from Russia. From right. Italy. So you have a lot of, that's where a lot of the, um, the European tourists go. And Charm is, I mean, the most famous Red Sea city in the world. Mm-hmm. All the ones in Egypt and Saudi and, you know, other places. Israel has a Red Sea city. Jordan has a Red Sea city. But Charm 
is the most famous in the world. And yeah, it's, that's why people love it. And so after Charm, you flew to Luxor, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so, and you had, but you had to connect in Cairo, right? You didn't fly. Yes, we did. We did. I didn't know that whenever we booked everything and, um, and then, yeah, we went to book our, those little hopper flights and I thought, oh, geez, <laughs> but it was fine. It was fine. Egypt air was, we were pretty impressed with Egypt air. Yeah. It's, it's really the only option domestically. They do have another like kind of startup airline called Nile air, but it has so few flights. You really never end up flying it, but Egypt air mm-hmm. is, pretty much has a, demo, a, a monopoly domestically. And actually you're, I have the same opinion. I'm glad you said that because it's perfectly fine domestically. Like it's, I don't like it flying internationally because it's a dry airline and I need right. to be on an, on a flight, an international flight. Yeah. I've taken the international flight from the States on to Egypt on Egypt air before it's fine, but um, mm-hmm. domestically it's, it's great. Like the planes are nice. They're new. They're they are. Yeah. And so tell us about Luxor. What were your, what were your first impressions on Luxor? Cause Luxor is very different from Cairo. Right? It is. So we stayed basically on, uh, you know, you get to the airport and then we stayed on like the opposite end of Luxor. So we got to, you know, drive down basically the entire length of the city, I think is, you know, how they explained it to us. And, you know, there's camels walking around and it's green and there's palm trees and the river and then the desert. And my brother turned to me, he said, this is what I pictured Egypt like. And I thought, yeah, it, it is. So we, we really liked Luxor. We had our guide, Raymond, and he was just fantastic as well. So he rode with us from the airport to our hotel. So he was already, you know, giving us so much info and, you know, just telling us all these things. And we really liked the shift. Of course, I didn't mind Cairo at all. We don't mind, you know, big, crazy, dirty cities, but uh, Luxor was nice. And all the sites, of course, it's just like mind blowing. (laughs) Yeah, Luxor's, I mean, I like to tell people Luxor, you know, we call it a city like, oh, you're going to another city. But Luxor really is like a village. I mean, it's, it looks like a village. Yes, yeah. it does. It's really different. And you weren't in Aswan, but Aswan is the same thing, but still like very much a village. You can, you know, you can walk around it. It's safe. It's just yeah. cool. I mean, you can walk around downtown Cairo too, but it's just like you're in, you know, like a lot of traffic and crazy. Yeah. And Luxor is yeah. just like, la-di-da, walk along the Nile. Here's a palm tree. Here's a donkey. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> And so you got to meet Raymond there. Raymond is literally one of my best friends in Egypt. He's such, such a, like, I haven't met anyone else in Egypt who's just such a genuine guy, like genuine, nice guy. I mean, if you you left a wallet with a hundred thousand dollars in the car and Raymond found it, he would probably return a hundred thousand and one dollars to you just to make sure you know, like he's just that good of a guy, good of a person. But uh, so what did you think of, so Luxor is the land of tombs and temples, as I like to say, you know, the pyramids are the above ground tombs that were from pharaohs that were 2500 BC. Luxor is a a little bit, it's funny to even use these words. Luxor is a little bit newer right? (laughs) in terms of ancient Egypt, because it came, the dynasties that had their capital there came later. And so mm-hmm. they built huge temples and they buried their dead below ground. So it wasn't so obvious. So the grave diggers or the grave robbers didn't know where to rob. So tombs and temples. What did you think of the tombs and temples in Luxor? We were blown away. I mean, they were fantastic. We started with the Colossi of Memnon, okay. um, which is basically a temple that's not really there anymore. There it's in ruins. And so that was really cool to see um, the two like, I guess statues in the front are still standing. So you see how large they are kind of on their own. And so that was cool. And after that, you know, the Valley of the Kings, we went there, went in four different tombs. And one thing we were blown away by is the original paint is still there. And I just, it was so cool. Like, I just kept thinking this whole time, there's no way that they haven't gone and touched this up. I just, it's crazy. Um, And then after that, we went to Hatshepsut's temple. Am I saying that right? (laughs) Yeah, Hatshepsut. You can always remember if you you, you remember a hot chicken soup. Yeah, it sounds like that. that. (laughs) Hot chicken soup, hot soup. Yeah, and it's gorgeous. You know, it's like carved into the mountainside. And I was very impressed with it. And then last, Karnak Temple, which is huge and just magnificent. I mean, it's, it's awesome. 
and yeah, it was, that was all in one day and um, it was a great day. I mean, we saw and learned so much and it was, I don't know, just, you can't even describe it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, you know, cause you know me from the podcast, I try my best to describe and talk about what these things are like, but there's just no way to do it. You just you can't. have to see it. I yeah, do. definitely. There's, I, I could talk about it for 10 hours straight and you would still be blown away when you go see yeah. it. Karnak, for example, you know, I've told folks before, that's a temple that was built over 2000 years. And yeah. so, I mean, just to think about like the scale of that, our country's a little over 200 years old. You know, they were building for a thousand years and they're like, eh, we think we're only halfway done. So they built for another thousand years, kept adding and adding yeah. and adding. But yeah, this, and the other thing that, um, like you mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned um, the Colossi of Memnon and the mortuary temple there of Amenhotep that's not there anymore. Because the thing that a lot of people don't realize is, like you mentioned, the statues that are at the entrance to what was there are yes. huge. And people don't realize if you just think about how enormous and mind-blowing what's left is, yeah. imagine <laughs> what the original buildings were like when everything was there and fully constructed. I mean, I literally cannot even imagine how big and magnificent these were. And like you said, too, with the colors inside the tombs. And even some of the temples, like if you look up at Karnak, you can see some of the original columns. Yeah, the, the, yeah that impressed uh, us a lot too. You could see, you know, some of the columns still had color on them. And yeah. I just, ears blown away the entire time. I mean, just the whole day you're awestruck. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I really, I really like for folks to kind of do it in the order you all did, you know, doing Cairo and Giza first, then going down and doing Luxor, the, the tombs and the temples. Because it's just one thing after another, just builds and builds. And, you know, yeah. it, it's, you know, you're, you're not kind of like, oh, well, the thing I saw last week was more impressive. Now I'm just kind of like, eh. you know, everything just builds and you're like, oh my God, how can it get any better? And then you I see know. the next temple or the next tomb and you're like, whoa. And then you go to Karnak and you're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah. So um, I forgot to ask you about one thing in Cairo, backing up to Cairo, you went to the current or what we call now the old Egyptian museum, right? Yes, we did. So what is the Tahrir Square, the downtown Egyptian museum like right now? A lot of people who are going in the next couple of months are worried that it's, you know, been cleaned out, that there's nothing left. Um, what was it like for okay. you all going there right now? I mean, there's still plenty. I mean, you can definitely tell that they're moving things around, um, but that was actually kind of good because they had some things out just, you know, sitting. I think they were pulling things out of storage. So I think we actually maybe got to see a little bit more than what, you know, when everything's typically like in its place. The, oh my gosh, this blew us away. So we walked in and turned the corner and it walked a little bit and there's this like shelf. There's you just all this stuff piled up. It's not the most organized museum, but I understand that they're moving. So, um, but there's the shelf and there's this like cobra head sitting on the shelf. And Iman was like, where, where do you think that that's from? And we were like, I don't know. Oh my gosh, somewhere in Egypt. And she's like, that's the cobra head that, or that was on the Sphinx. Like that's the original cobra head that has since fallen off. And it's just sitting on the shelf right here, like in storage, not, there's no label. It's not even, you know, facing us. It's back in a corner. And so she was like, you know, if you, if you come with me, you're going to know what's going on. You're going to see these things that are just awesome and they're not even labeled and it's fine. Cause it's like, we saw the Cobra head that was on the Sphinx originally. So that was really cool. It, that's another thing that's hard to convey about that Egyptian museum. The old one is that, you know, I've had so many clients over the years that are just like, oh, well, you know, we'll do the museum on our own. It'll be fine. We'll, oh yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when, when we say nothing's labeled, like you said, you can be looking at something that is one of the most significant things in there. Exactly. And you have no clue because they yeah. might have like some tiny little label in Arabic that just says like Cobra head. Yeah. But, and they didn't even have that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, the entire trip, you know, we'd look back at pictures or whatever, even now, and we'll always turn to each other and say, thank God we had a on because we wouldn't have known what this was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like that for so many things. And it, it's kind of bittersweet in a way because one of the, good things about the old museum was that you do really feel like you're up close and personal with history. I mean, you could literally oh, yeah. reach out and touch these objects, but at the same time, the bad part about it is you can reach out and touch these objects and exactly. <laughs> yeah. Do a day. yeah, we agree. Uh, I mean, yeah, a lot of things weren't even in 
a casing at all. I mean, they're, they're just there and you can literally reach out and touch them. And uh, yeah, so we enjoyed the museum a lot, but I, I hope the new uh, Grand Egyptian Museum uh, is great about like preserving and labeling. But of course, again, like we didn't mind it because we went with them on and we learned so much, even if there would have been labels, we still would have really wanted her there. So, yeah, that's the thing too about Egyptian history is that it's so long and mm-hmm. 5,000 years, we, we literally just can't even in the West fathom what 5,000 years of civilization is like. And kind of, I mean, you can see, like you said, that's a good point. Like, even if something's labeled, even if something, some, you know, something says, this is the statue of Akhenaten, you know, like at the back of the museum, there's a statue of, you know, you know where the curvy hippie statues of Akhenaten yeah. kind of has a female form in these statues. Yeah. I mean, even if you know that's Akhenaten, you don't know why he's depicted in female form. Normally pharaohs are depicted as very muscular, very young at the height of their power and physique. Akhenaten was, he allowed himself to be pictured as this kind of almost hybrid figure and like learning about why that was and why he was different. And also like why statues of Hepshetsut were smashed and things like that. You just have all these dots connected with labels. That's why like having somebody along with you is so important because the stories and the connections and interconnections are just so complex and convoluted. So I'm really glad. Yeah. I'm really glad you all got to see the old museum because you're probably, I think you all were there in March. We have some folks going in June and July. And I mean, my best guess is that the new museum is probably going to open in October. Yeah. That's what we heard there too. That's what they're shooting for. I think. Okay. Yeah. That makes the most sense to me too. And so you probably are, among the last that are going to get to see that old museum and that have that experience of being so up and personal with all the artifacts, because in the new museum, everything's going to be behind glass. Everything's going to be well encased. You've got a great experience that most people moving forward will never get. Yeah. We were happy with it, but yeah, we'll just have to go back to see the new museum, but it was nice to see everything up close and personal. Yeah. Yeah. And the new museum, even alone, like just for the museum is worth another trip back there. Yeah, um, definitely. And so you you said, who, who did you talk to that was giving you the impression they thought October would be the most likely time for the gym too? Because I just kind of like to always get multiple sources because I mean, I think October as well, but that's just my best educated guess. But I'm glad to hear that other people are coming to that conclusion too. Who, who told you or how, why did they think October? We actually talked to someone in Luxor at the Luxor Museum. And so he had asked, you know, everyone's always so interested in what else you've already seen in Egypt. And so we told him that we had been in Cairo and had seen the pyramids and um, went to the museum. And so he was telling us, oh, you know, did you see the Grand Egyptian Museum? It's opening in October. And so he was an employee of the Luxor Museum. I'm not exactly sure like what his title was. But yeah, so that's kind of his idea, too. Okay, good, good. I'm really glad to hear that. That sort of corroborates. Yeah. We're all piecing together clues. Um, right. <laughs> I haven't made an announcement yet. So, um, but I think that kind of jives with what I think too. I think October is the most likely time. So that's good to hear that a museum employee, because he would be in the you know Ministry of Antiquities, employee of the Ministry of Antiquities. Right. He would probably have more info than I would. That's good to hear. So you went to the Luxor Museum. Um, was Raymond with you there? Or did you go there on your own? No, we did go there on our own. He was actually, he had another group of Americans the day after we toured with him. And so we went out on our own and we uh, did a Felucca ride. And, um, oh, well, that morning we did a hot air balloon ride, which I highly recommend. That was our second favorite thing after the pyramids. Uh, And then we went to the Mummification Museum and the Luxor Museum. So, So we did those on our own and we enjoyed it a lot. I wish that Raymond would have been with us, but I know he was busy. So <laughs> so the Luxor Museum, it's smaller, but it's it's much more modern and nicer than the, yes. the Tahrir uh, Museum in Cairo. So I'm curious, would you, for, and the Mummification Museum is very small and very niche. Would you recommend to others that they make time to go see those too? Or do you think, and why I'm asking is because, you know, sometimes people have limited time and people want to think yeah. like, okay, what are the things that I'm going to regret not seeing when I go if I don't see and what are the things that I can see on a second trip? So how would you describe the Mummification Museum and the Luxor Museum? Do you think people should absolutely fit them in on a first trip to Egypt? Or do you think that it's something that if you're not that into museums, you can skip? And if you're really into museums, you probably would enjoy it. What do you think? Well, we are actually not typically museum people. I mean, we're always happy we went, but it's never as impressive as the real deal. The Egyptian Museum versus the pyramids. Of course, I'd choose the pyramids. But the Luxor Museum, I actually would definitely recommend. 
we chose that over going to the Valley of the Queens. And I don't know if that was the right decision because we haven't seen the Valley of the Queens because we didn't go. But yeah, we kind of just felt like we had seen the Valley of the Kings. And so then we wanted to see some, you know, it's just something in a museum. I don't I don't know exactly what led us to go see it. But yeah, I would definitely recommend the uh, Luxor Museum. And then if you have time, the Mummification Museum was cool. I mean, it wasn't as impressive as the Luxor Museum, but it was great. I mean, we had enough time to where we could fit both in and, and we were happy with that decision. But, you know, if you're more into, you know, seeing the tombs and things like that, then maybe do the Valley of the Queens. I don't know. It's kind of like there's so much in Egypt. You know, it's just yeah. if you want to see more tombs, there are like hundreds of other tombs you can see. But if you want to see more museums, there are tons of other museums. It's just a matter of, you know, I tell people a lot of times, you really have to pace yourself because it's easy to get tombed and templed out and it's easy to get museum yeah. out. But that's good to hear that you really enjoyed the Luxor Museum because I personally think it's a great museum. It's more modern. It's small. Yeah, when it's small, so you could do it very quickly. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, you don't necessarily have to choose it over something else because it is so small. You can do it, you know, yeah, relatively quick amount of time. And it's in, in central Luxor. It's like walking distance to everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about the hot air balloon ride. What time did you have to get up? How, how long did you have to oh, wait? How long did you have to travel? What was that experience like? We woke up, um, I want to say we woke up at 3.30 cause they picked us up 40 from our hotel in the morning. So, and we are not morning people and <laughs> we were already so tired, but it was totally worth it. I mean that, like I said, after the pyramids, that was the, the highlight of our trip. You know, you start off just seeing all the balloons and that's cool because we had never done a balloon ride before. So that alone was cool enough. And then you get up in the air and you see the Nile and then the farmland and then the desert and then all the temples that we had seen the day before. So that kind of helped put everything together and, and give us some context about what we had learned, what, you know, everything that Raymond had talked about. So that it was really, really magical. Wow. And we were in the air for like, I mean, they had said it was going to be about a 45 minute ride. I think it was closer to an hour. So we were uh, very happy with that experience. Wow. It was awesome. Nice. Yeah. Luxor is one of the few places I think off the top of my head, I'm thinking like maybe Cappadocia, Turkey and Luxor, Egypt are like two of the most amazing places in the world to do hot air balloon rides just because the temple. Yeah, definitely. The, the contrast of the brown desert and the green farmland and things, the river, the sunrise. Yeah, it's absolutely stunning. Oh, very nice. I'm so glad y'all did that. I'm so, I'm really glad that you all took that extra day in Luxor too, just to kind of have a free day and and do things on your own. And, you know, a lot of people go to Luxor and they just do the East Bank sites, the West Bank sites, and boom, they fly out. And I really think Luxor, especially with the place you stayed at the Nile Hilton, you know, right there on the yeah. Nile. Please tell me you went to the spa and the infinity pool on the spa side we did go to the pool we didn't do the spa because we actually did a spa when we were in Sharm el Sheikh oh, okay. um, and that was fantastic I forgot to mention that yeah the spa there was great so we didn't do the spa there at the Hilton and Luxor but the pool we actually did take time and and go to the pool which we don't usually do because we want to see everything but yeah it was a great place to relax and they've got some really really great middle eastern food there at the hotel that was some of the best food that we had so uh so yeah we really enjoyed the hilton that was probably our favorite place that we stayed and i, I struggle to tell people too because you know sometimes people hear like oh luxor hilton you know they think like a hilton in the states i mean you go to a hilton and like cleveland and it's just you know like yeah. roadside corporate i'm like no, I mean, yes, it has the name Hilton, but it is really unique. I mean, it's beautiful. It's, yeah, it's a gorgeous property and yeah. everyone is so nice. But I mean, it is, it's literally right on the Nile. And like you said, the pool is fantastic. The restaurants are great. And I mean, with it being on the Nile, when we did our little uh, Felucca cruise, the guy came and picked us up right at the hotel on the water. So that was cool. So yeah, I, I would highly recommend it. It's definitely more luxurious than a Hilton here in the States. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also unique to Egypt. I mean, you don't feel like you're in a Hilton just anywhere. I mean, it, it's very Egyptian. It's very local. It's yes. very Luxor. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed that. And then, so you and your family were there still in the era of COVID. So tell us about the experience of getting your COVID test for your return. Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, it, it was fine. We, 
checked in at the Hilton in Luxor and we knew that that's where we needed to get our test done in order to have the results in time to fly home. And so we told the front desk when we checked in. And so they scheduled for the lab to come to the hotel and test us. So, you know, we chose a time. And then of course, you know, when that day rolled around, the lab came and it was super quick. I mean, 15 minutes max. And we paid then. So the next day we were checking out and going to Cairo. And so the man who tested us said that he would email our results at said time. And so those results didn't come quite as quickly as we needed them to. But besides that, everything worked out really well. And luckily, um, you know, y'all were able to contact the lab for us. And I think we had like, what, three or four people contacting until they finally emailed us our results. And um, of course we were all negative. And so the hotel we were at in Cairo, they printed them for us and then we headed to the airport. So it all worked out fine. But yeah, they definitely could have sent those results a little bit sooner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm glad you did it on the day you did, because I've been telling people, even I was on the, I was on a call about two hours ago with some clients that are going in uh, June and July. And I was, mm-hmm. they were asking me about the process. I was like, you can get it done the day before, but I would feel so much better if you did it two days before, because sometimes, you know, it may take 30 yeah. hours instead of 24 and yeah. it would just make me feel a lot better if you did it 48 hours in advance instead of 24 and you're yeah. still in your It's just morning. so hard. Cause you know, you're trying to make the, the 72 hour time limit before the test expires, yeah. according to the airlines. So that's what was rough is, uh, and I know that with people traveling, you know, overseas, Uh, We had read that they were a little more lenient and would give you like 96 hours, but we had already had so much trouble with our COVID tests on the way to Egypt that we didn't want to chance that. So, so we were in the 72 hour window and it it all worked out, but it was a a tiny bit stressful. (laughs) So for folks that might be wondering, can you explain what the issue was on the, your inbound flight? What were, what was missing and what they wanted? What were they looking for? So we live in a super small town. And so when we went and told our clinic that we were traveling to Egypt and they required a PCR test and we had never been COVID tested. So they tested us and um, we got our results printed and they thought they were a PCR result. We thought they were a PCR result. I think just, I guess the regulations changed so much that our little clinic just couldn't keep up. I don't know. But um, we got to the airport and someone checked our test form and they said it was fine. And so we keep going and then we get to our gate to board the plane and they check our results again. And they were like, no, this isn't a PCR form. Like, even if you got a PCR test, this isn't the correct form. Like we can't accept this. So I got the doctor on the phone and then that just, you know, wasn't good enough. And so, um, we had to delay our trip a day, which luckily when we rescheduled, we were able to come home a day later. So we didn't miss anything, but everything was a little jumbled, but we basically left 24 hours later than planned because the next morning we went and got a rapid PCR test. So that was expensive, but that's okay. And yeah, we had our results in time. And of course we were still negative. So I guess it all worked out in the end, but It was stressful on that end. And then coming home, it was a little stressful too, but we made it and it was worth it. (laughs) So the key for people to know the takeaway would be from your experience to make sure that the paperwork they have explicitly says that it's a PCR test, right? Is that what? Yeah, I would have it say PCR, of course, negative. I would have the clinic's name like checked to make sure that's on it. And if it can have a doctor's signature, that's pretty big too. So look for those four things, um, especially that it says PCR and um, negative. But yeah, I would definitely try to have the clinic's name and a doctor's signature on your form. Otherwise, you'll be delayed like us. <laughs> but your airline, what airline were you flying? We were flying United. United. And uh-huh. actually, um, the test result that, or the form that we presented would have been fine for us to get to our layover in Germany. But because our final destination was Egypt and they require the PCR test, whereas Germany just, I guess, requires, a, I don't, I don't know the different tests, An but anyway, they, since Egypt was our final destination, they couldn't let us board the flight. Yes. Yeah, some places just require an antigen test. Some places specifically require PCR, which, you know, and so yeah, Egypt's one of the places where they are being very careful with everybody to require, you know, the nasal PCR Coming back to the United States, actually, they're more flexible. The United States requires an antigen test, but I'm glad that the airlines were flexible. Obviously, we were going to be flexible. You know, the hotel. Yes, thank you. 
Yeah, of course, of course. But I'm so glad it worked out. I'm a huge Braden fan now. Like you're so brave <laughs> to go there. I haven't even been there yet. That's why I said I was genuinely curious to hear from you what your experience is like, because I have not been able to, I mean, I could go back there anytime, but to be perfectly honest, I really do not want to do that nasal PCR. Like I'm so afraid of it. Oh no, it truly wasn't bad either or both ways. I mean, I guess just the people we had were pretty gentle. I think they maybe know how to do it now. Um, because my husband got one like at the beginning of COVID and he just, I mean, he said it was awful, but, and he was negative, but that was, you know, months and months and months ago. But I mean, we truly didn't have any problems besides our, you know, our nose running a little bit afterward. No, they were great. The lab that came in Egypt just sent one guy and he was, you know, super gentle and nice. So no, I I would go. Don't let that stop you. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I think the first trip I'm going to make back is going to be in late May because I'm going back to the United States in late April, early May, and I'm going to get my vaccine then. So I'm staying for four weeks. And then after that, I'm going to go back to Egypt and check in on some things, see my people there, and then I'll come back to Spain. But yeah, I was not looking forward to having to do that. That's actually really comforting to hear that it wasn't that bad. And that makes sense now that they've had a year to learn how to do these things. Yeah, definitely. And it could, you know, possibly depend on who you get, but yeah, we didn't have any trouble with it. Well, that's good to hear. Well, you've made me a little bit less scared to get it. (laughs) Hopefully some other folks as well. I I was going to say, yeah, I hope this kind of helps encourage them. I I can't tell you how many people I have. I mean, I've had email me over the past weeks and months. I mean, people email me daily with questions about it and, you know, people are, we have clients booking, people are going in, you know, November, December, January, February, but people are curious people. I think people want to go now. They want to go sooner. They want to go in, you know, May, and they're curious. And so I've been looking forward to getting a download of your brain from your trip. I know everybody else is really excited. Um, I put out another episode today of the podcast and I teased on that one. I'm like, and another episode's coming out soon. In a couple of hours, I'm talking to someone who was just (laughs) there. She came back. I'm so excited. So I think everybody's going to be really, really thrilled to hear your report back on this and what your experience was like. So thank you so, so much. Yeah, of course. Anything to, to help, you know, people kind of get over that hump and go because we truly enjoyed it. And, you know, if you're a little concerned about COVID, just wear your mask. I mean, they require it in crowded areas anyway. But yeah, just, you know, don't let it stop you from going. You know, we just kind of finally decided we can't let fear, you know, stop us. And yeah, we just we wanted to keep living life and doing the things we love. And for us, that's traveling. So we we are very happy that we went. And like you said, it's just it's such a great time to go. Yeah, life is short. You got to see the pyramids, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, Braden, thank you so, so much for this. Everyone I know is going to really, really appreciate it and enjoy it. And I'm looking forward to staying in touch with you. I've, as I've told you and many others before, the people we work with on the trips to Egypt, we you know work with them before, during, and after, and we stay friends after. So I'm looking forward to staying in touch yeah. with you moving forward. Yeah, same. So there you have it. Firsthand, what Egypt is like right now, spring 2021, on the ground, a few extra steps with COVID, but still completely open to travel and opening up more and more every month. Thank you again so much to Brayden for sharing the experience of you and your family traveling right now. It's been a pleasure working with you, planning your trip, and helping make this amazing trip of a lifetime happen for you and your mother and brother. We look forward to welcoming you back in Egypt. And for everyone else as well, we look forward to working with you, helping you plan your trips of a lifetime, and delivering an amazing, amazing experience in Egypt. So please feel free to reach out to me. As I always say, John, J-O-H-N, at EgyptTravelBlog.com or john at egyptelite.com. Have a good day, everybody. Masalama. salama.